May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Many committed teachers can't help but squeeze one more lesson into the last few minutes of a class. Just one more thing, they say, right before we go, just one last thing. That's kind of what this last section of Paul's letter to the Romans feels like. He's given the Roman church such incredible teaching. He showed them the the theological truth of the gospel and and how the the gospel itself paves the way for how we are to live out the faith. He said his goodbyes and passes along his greetings. And so we might think he's done, but there's just one last thing. One last thing he needs to tell them. Many what we might call skeptical scholars have been so surprised that he would do this that they assume it's a later addition to the letter. They, they think it wouldn't make sense for him to try to just squeeze one more thing in. But for any of us that have taught those that we truly care about and love, this makes perfect sense. We, we know the, the strength, the, the desire to ensure that we've told them everything that they need to know. And that's what Paul's doing here. And so after everything he has taught them, he ends his epistle with a warning and with worship. The one last thing that Paul tells them is that they should be on their guard against false teachers who will come into their midst. Because of that, The church needs to know how to defend herself, how to cling to the true gospel so that they might worship God as he truly desires and truly deserves. And so on this, our 31st and final Sunday, looking at the book of Romans, we bring our time to a close by heeding Paul's warning, looking at the problem of false teachers And then talking about how we combat and ultimately overcome the false teachers that we encounter. All so that we might more clearly see Jesus and worship him as our only Lord and Savior. One last thing, brothers and sisters, Paul might have said. One last thing. Watch out. Watch out for those who cause division. And create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. We can understand Paul's concern here. After all, if you've discipled a group of people. If you've taken care to to lay out the gospel in detail. And shown them how the gospel changes everything. The last thing you want is for someone else to come along and ruin the whole thing. And sure enough, false teachers have most certainly come into the church. Paul saw them in his day, and there are certainly many in our time as well. There are those who enter the church and bring teaching that is not in accordance with the faith 
once delivered, as Jude says. And when they are able to sway some, division is created and stumbling blocks are placed in front of the people, leading them to fall into sin and into false doctrine. The church must not be naive to this truth. It can be tempting to believe that we would never allow false teaching into our midst. Surely no one amongst us would ever hold views that are not biblical. And if they did, we would never allow them into leadership or a teaching position. Certainly not. It can be tempting to try and convince ourselves of that. But even the most cursory look at church history shows that that is simply wishful thinking. Knowing that these blind guides will come among us, the church must understand that such people must be done away with, avoided by the church, Paul says. Because what they serve is not the gospel, but their own appetites. They seek to glorify themselves and benefit from what they believe the church can give to them. Instead of seeking to build up the faithful and point people to Jesus. Now again, we might try to tell ourselves that such a person is actually a sinner in need of of redeeming. And, And that's true. They are. And so we might then think that the, the, the proper response, actually, Paul, should be not to avoid them, but to teach them. Show them a better way, and hopefully they will repent and come to faith in Christ. Now, I actually really appreciate that posture. I appreciate that heart. But what we must remember is that there are some situations and some sins which are so egregious that the only responsible action the church can take is to send the person out from our midst. Now, we are not speaking of someone who has committed a sin unknowingly, nor are we talking about the person who said, or who leads a Bible study and they, they happen to get something wrong. And we all get things wrong now and then. That's not what Paul has in mind here. What Paul has in mind is someone who has been given the authority to teach the faithful and uses that authority to intentionally lead people away from the gospel. They are those who will not repent of false teaching. They lack the humility to acknowledge their fault, and so their teaching serves only them. They create division and dissent within the church by teaching that which is not gospel. They look upon evil and they call it good, all to serve themselves. That is why the situation is so severe. It's why Paul tells them to avoid them. Don't hear them out, but leave them aside. Because to do otherwise is to invite the potential fall of some members of the faithful. Jesus himself speaks of times when false teachers and false prophets will come among the church so as to sway people and lead them astray. 
These are not those who make innocent mistakes. This is willful theological abuse of the faithful for personal benefit. The church in that case must defend herself by keeping that person away and removing them from any position of authority so that they are no longer able to harm her. The stakes are too great to do otherwise. For the defense of the faith, for the benefit of the faithful, that false teacher must be avoided. Yes, you can and should pray for them to repent, but you do not do so and then hand them a microphone or a platform while hoping they might just get it right this time. False teachers have and will come among the faithful, and they will bring division designed to benefit only themselves. That is Paul's warning. So what do we do about it? How do we combat it? How do we deal with false teaching? Well, Paul does tell us to avoid them. But to be able to avoid them, we must first be able to recognize them. Can we, the people of God here at St. Aidan's, discern the difference between gospel preaching and false gospel preaching? Can we tell the difference between what is faithful and what is not. So crucial questions to ask because, again, we might face the temptation to think too much of ourselves. Of course we could tell the difference, we say. Of course we could tell the difference. It's plainly obvious when preaching is orthodox and when it's not. Really. Are we so certain of that? Is it that plainly obvious to us? One of the biggest mistakes that the church can make is to assume that the enemies of the gospel will act like they're Bond villains, laying out their nefarious plans in a way that is so obvious and so clear it's impossible to miss as if they're walking around with a name tag that says, don't trust me, I'm the bad guy. But what does Paul tell us? Verse 18, he says this, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. False teachers get away with what they do, Because they're good at it. They're smooth. They're talented. They absolutely look and sound the part. And we love to listen to them. We love to listen to them because they flatter us. They tell us all those things that we want to hear. They trade in all the cultural gospels that sound this close to the truth and that we want so desperately to be true. They'll tell you those wonderful things. Like God will never give you more than you can handle. We've all heard that one before, I'm sure. 
And yet, when you think about it, that's just a soft way of justifying ourselves and making life all about me. Or how about just think positively. Think good thoughts, do good things, good things happen to good people who do good things, therefore, you'll have a good life if you do good things. Sounds great, but that's karma. That's not Jesus. That's the power of positive thinking. It's self-help junk. Not the gospel. But they sound good, don't they? They sound wonderful. That sounds way better to me than acknowledging my own sinfulness and my need for a savior. That sounds way better to me than confessing that I have no power in myself to save myself or to change myself, and so I need a righteousness from outside myself to break into my life that I might be redeemed. It's why we're swayed by them. They would not be nearly so successful if they were saying things we didn't want to hear. There's a reason why when you look at the quote-unquote Christian bestseller list, almost none of it's Christian. It's false gospels masquerading as truth. But we are swayed by it because we love it. And we love those who spew these lies because... It's exactly what our itching ears want to hear. And so Paul is warning them, do not let them in. Do not even give them a moment. Absolutely do not give them authority to teach you. If someone says something that is not in line with the gospel, correct them. And if they refuse to be corrected, then they are not to teach. They are not to have influence over you or the church. Can we tell the difference Could you tell the difference between the gospel and those cultural gospels that I just mentioned? Three questions I'm going to give us that will help us to check if what we're listening to is faithful or not. First one, is what they are teaching in agreement with the scriptures? The Bible is the supreme and final authority for doctrine. The Bible contains all things necessary for salvation. And so if what you are hearing is not in accord with the Bible, then it is the one who is speaking who is wrong and must be corrected. Second, does it glorify Jesus? Who is at the center of what you are hearing? Is the teacher putting a big old spotlight on themselves or are they pointing people to Jesus? I see this all the time when the faithful are looking for resources, right? Everybody's looking for things that will help them grow in faithfulness to Jesus. It's a great thing. Inevitably, you hop online, right? That's where you go for data. And what happens? We see those super popular ministries, right? Those folks that have 2 million subscribers to their podcast, they absolutely must be the ones who are teaching the truth. You want to check it? 
helpful way. What's their ministry named? Is it named after the person who's teaching? Is it named after the one in authority? It's not 100% bulletproof, but it's a big old red flag. Because who's the spotlight being placed on then? Third question. Does it promote goodness? Does it drive you to holy living in accord with Jesus' teaching? Or is it calling what is evil good? Those three questions can help us here, the people of God at St. Aidan's, to discern whether or not a speaker or teacher is someone that we should allow to have teaching authority over us. We combat false teaching by being able to tell the difference between what is orthodox and what is not. We also combat false teaching by knowing what God wants us to know. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the last few verses of our passage. Paul ends this incredible letter the way he should, by worshiping and glorifying God. And his worship is filled with gospel truth. What is it that God wants you to know? It's right there. First, he's able to strengthen you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul writes for us in verse 25. See, we can often convince ourselves that there's no way we could tell the difference between what is good and bad teaching because, well, I just don't know enough. Or I'm not intelligent enough. Or that speaker's using a bunch of terms that kind of sound right, but I don't really understand. So I'm just going to hope it's good. Friends, You can tell the difference between what is faithful and what isn't because the Lord has promised to strengthen you according to the gospel. Ask the Lord to teach you. Ask him to help you. Ask him to make it clear to you when what you are hearing is false. Ask him to give you that that discomfort in your gut when what you're hearing is not in line with the gospel. There have been plenty of times when I've listened to a teacher or a podcast or sermon, and I walk away feeling off, that something wasn't quite right. But I I don't know what it is in the moment, but it just wasn't right. And so I pray and I do some dinging, and maybe that day or someday down the line, it clicks. That was it. That's what was wrong. That's what left me feeling uneasy. That is what the Lord is willing to do for us. He will strengthen us to defend us against that which is false. The Lord is able to strengthen you. And the Lord wants you to know him. Paul continues... According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. The revelation of the mystery that Paul is speaking about here is the gospel of the saving work of Jesus Christ. 
God has commanded that the gospel is to be known. It is his will and desire that people would know that which was hidden. That Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven by which a person can be saved. And that he has come to save. That he is alive and you can know him and you can follow him in this life and the next. God has caused this to be known through the faithful preaching of Paul and many others throughout church history. And the church itself, as as we have gathered faithfully to proclaim Jesus. But he's also made it known through what he calls the prophetic writings. The Bible. If you want to know God, go to the place that he reveals himself. His very word. Study it. Prayerfully engage with it day by day. When you crack it open, pray, Lord, show me Jesus. As Cranmer put it, ask the Lord to help you read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest his word. Because as we become more acquainted with the scriptures, we begin to see the world through a gospel lens. And teaching that is not in line with the gospel becomes far more obvious to us. And then we bring what we are learning among the faithful. We gather in the church so that God might show himself to us together. For it is within his church that his gospel is faithfully preached and taught. It is where the scriptures are open so that we might worship Jesus in accordance with his will. That is what good Bible study, good theology should always lead us to. Worship. That's why you got to ask who's being glorified, because you're going to worship someone. And so it is, is it the teacher, or is it Jesus? Finally, the Lord wants you to know that he wants you to follow him. He doesn't want generic intellectual assent. Yeah, I guess it's true. He wants changed lives. He wants lives that belong to him. He does all these things that I mentioned, that that making himself known, that strengthening in order to, as Paul says, bring about the obedience of faith. As you walk with Jesus, he will show you how to follow him. He will teach you if you spend time with him. That is his purpose for us, to follow and be in that covenant love relationship that he wants with us. He doesn't want us guessing at what's right and what's wrong or what to do and what not to do. Sometimes it'll be plainly obvious in the scriptures that we're to do this and not do that. Other times it's going to be through the Holy Spirit strengthened wisdom that that he's given us that we'll we'll know how to follow him. Sometimes it's through asking questions in the church. Please ask questions. All the time it is Christ's purpose to help us to follow him. And what he purposes will be accomplished. 
False teachers will come among us. But we can combat them by being able to discern the difference between good and evil, between truth and falsehood, and by knowing what God wants us to know, that he will strengthen us, that he wants us to know him, and that he will bring about obedience in us. That is what he desires for us, and so that is what will happen. And that is how we overcome the false teachers who come at us. We rely on God, trusting in the hope of the gospel, that Jesus has already overcome all that is wrong and all that is unjust and all that is is false. If you look smack dab in the middle of our passage on verse 20, you find a verse that is absolutely overflowing with gospel hope. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Friends, the war is over. Jesus has won. He has conquered evil and death. We live in the time between the times. The the cross and the empty tomb have declared the victory of Jesus. We live awaiting his return when all of Satan's minions will be finished for good. It will happen. The game is effectively over. We're just running up the score. And yes, this is a time that will have its share of suffering and sorrow. We don't make light of that. And sometimes it will seem like falsehood has more power and that evil will have the last word. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is God's first and final word and that we overcome all that is evil and false by resting in the sure and certain hope that Jesus has already conquered. The central teaching of the book of Romans is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior has come. Jesus has come. And we are forgiven and redeemed through His work, through His grace, and the faith that He provides. Since that is the case, why would we ever try to live under our own power? Life in Christ is about Him, start to finish. The first and final word, it is Jesus. And so do not live under your own power, but rather live in the comfort and peace and power of Jesus Christ with the certain hope of the gospel. We are at peace with God, friends, and he will reign forever. And so to the only wise God, the most blessed and glorious Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.